you always have to be careful about is to invest your thankfulness in your accomplishments, right? It's, it's great for the pastor to get up at the end of the year and have something to say we could be measurably thankful for, but whether or not we were faithful in the last year doesn't necessarily have to do with whether or not lines are going up and to the right, so to speak. What God called us to do was to be faithful this year and to be obedient to him, which means we're supposed to get together and connect with God and connect with each other, to love our neighbors and to love God, to grow in our understanding of the gospel and our knowledge of the Bible, to seek to serve our neighbors and to love our city and reach the world. And whether or not any of those things are measurable, that's what we were called to do. And, and, and you know, we logged 52 Sundays. We came in here together. And, and that is itself what we were called to do. God allowed us to get together with each other and to share with him what we were meant to, and to worship him, and to love each other, and to be here, and to attend to the scriptures, and all those things. And we should just flat be thankful of that, and to enjoy that, and for, to let things to be what they are. We should be thankful that we got another year, and that we might get another one. Now, there are things that you can measure, which are fun to talk about and to be thankful for, so long as it's in the right way, right? The thing to be thankful for is that God is with us and that God is within us. And when we see things happen that God would predict would happen, if we were living with him and with him doing something inside of us, the real thankfulness that's meant to come, its emotional effect on us, the pleasure we take in it is meant to be the fact that it is evidence that God is with us just like he said he would be, and that God is doing something in us. That should—the the presence of God's gracious activity should always be the thing that we're so thankful for. So over the course of the last year, um, there have been, like, big and small stories. Some of you guys know about the Jesus Lunch at Middleton, where, like, five moms were talking with their kids, and their teenage kids were like, we really wish we, there was some situation which we could really talk to our friends about Jesus, because it's really hard to do that at our high school. And so the moms were like, well, why don't we have this lunch? And— when they finally closed up shop because they had to meet outdoors in October because the weather was getting bad, it had gone from about 100 or so students when it started to 400 students that had come together. And like, you know what happened. Like, all the conversations were not about Jesus, right? But it allowed for an openness in that school that as much as we talk about openness in our city, sometimes there's a lot of opennesses that don't exist, right? Also, um, as a church, over the course of the last year, 14% um, more people come here, which doesn't really matter. But it does matter in the sense that those people, a lot of those people are like, are like Jesse or, or like you, right? And it's mattered to them. Being here has mattered to them. They have heard about Jesus, and they've come to understand the gospel better. They've connected with God. They've connected with you. A lot of things have happened in people's lives. And although that's actually kind of too fast, because it's really hard for people to get into new relationships at that kind of speed of change, it's really kind of cool that anybody would care to come here because they find it valuable. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm one, there's not a lot of teachers in our culture that teach to non-captive audiences. That everybody who's in class or who gathers together does so 100% voluntarily. This is one of the only places where you do that. Everybody who's come here, everybody— comes here because they believe it's, they should, because they want to. One of the really encouraging things, and listen, I, I, I make no apologies for making my livelihood 
by being paid by this church, and I make no apologies for churches spending money on their ministries. We exist to make disciples. Doing that requires us to do things, which does require resources, and it's totally fine for churches to spend money on their ministries. But if you raise a kid at some point, you want them to get to the point where they can produce more than they take. And it's a sign of life when a church is growing as disciples, and they get to the point where what they need to spend on their own discipleship is a lot less than what God has moved them to give. And without me doing any series on giving or us doing any kind of capital campaigns or anything like that, We got to the point where last year, by my reckoning, we sent out of our church about a third of every dollar given. And that is not including all of the money that you give directly to missionaries and to ministries outside the church. How many people—I'm going to ask you to raise your hand—give to some missionary or parachurch or some Christian ministry that you believe God wants done in the world that isn't giving to High Point Church? How many people do that? So look around. So all of these people give real dollars to real works outside of this church. And in addition to that, we've as a church been able to send about a third of every dollar that's coming out of our doors. And still do the ministries that we're called to do, because partly because you've been really generous with your money, but also because the people of this church, you, have been really generous with your time. Because you have shown up to do ministry, we have to hire fewer people to serve each other. Because you do it. And because of that, we've sent, at our last year in gift, about $90,000 of that went out to the city and to the world. At the end of the last fiscal year, we had just $80,000 that had been given that was completely unspoken for. That all went outside of this church. Our, our global missions program is 10.5% of our budget. It's $147,000. Just goes out. About $45,000 went into our DR partnership last year. Just goes out. We gave about $35,000 in benevolence gifts to people in need last year. Almost none of those people go here. And you might be like, yeah, because it's an affluent church. Partly, 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 we're, yes, partly very productive people go to this church. That's true. But also, people get to know each other at this church, and as the gospel changes them, they give each other opportunities. People who are really part of this church, my experience is they haven't been unemployed long because people in this church want to give them an opportunity and hire them. I've seen it a dozen times. And so the vast majority of that $35,000 has gone to people who don't go to our church. Many of them don't go to any church but they turned it to us when they were in need. And, I mean, I could kind of go on at all the different ways money has gone out of here into ministries, and all—we're constantly trying to make sure that money has a bigger impact, that none of it's wasted, that it's invested well, and things that aren't producing toxicity, but are really producing growth in people's lives. But it's—it's a sign of life. It's a sign that God is with us, and it's a sign that God is working in us when we do our own job of ministering to ourselves. We do the work of making disciples that we need to, and yet what God has done in us is made us more productive in generosity towards his kingdom than we have to be consumptive. And people are blessed by that. For me, that's a sign of life that I'm really thankful for. And there's lots of other—we baptized a bunch of people. A lot of people became members this year. All of that stuff is really exciting. But one of the things that we have to recognize is that there's an awful lot 
of what we're supposed to be doing that is happening, that we want to thank God for, that is very difficult to measure, and mainly only comes forward in the form of stories. But let me ask this question. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Who here can say that in the last year, in terms of trajectory, not any given particular day, but in terms of trajectory, you have come to connect with God more deeply. You're understanding the gospel better. You're knowing what God has said in written scripture, and it's making a difference in you. Right? Like, it's making a difference in you. Like, thing, like you are less—yeah, yeah, go ahead, raise your hand right now. You're, you're just—you're less frustrated. You're, you, you find joy in your work. You've—the gospel's getting applied. Now, if you're sitting next to somebody who raised their hand, raise your hand if they're telling the truth. Okay, so a few. Yeah, it's good. In a lot of ways, you guys, that is the heart of our work. That's why it's so hard to quantify the good a church does. And that's why so many of our secular neighbors take for granted the work that is done here in a year, in us, that God is doing. It just—their lives are just better, and they don't even really know why. They don't—they don't know the people we would have been without what Jesus is doing in us. They only know the people we are. And that's true of our own husbands, our own wives, our own parents, and our own children. We don't, we don't know the counterfactual. We don't know what would have been. We only know what is, and so we, we take for granted so much of what God does in each of us. But it's really important <clears throat> that you and I can take pleasure in thankfulness every day. In Ecclesiastes 3, there's this verse where God s- speaks through Solomon, and he says, There is nothing better than for a man or woman to take pleasure in all their—and he uses this intentionally pejorative word—toil, right? Now, why does he use that negative word? Because what do you really think about your life, about all the stuff you had to do this last week, this last month, this last year? What do you really think about school? What did you really think about being married to your your spouse half the time? What did you really think about marriage half the time? What did you really think about some of your friendships and school and work? What did you really think it really felt like? Right? Well, it's God-given, Nick. It's a gift. No, baloney, Oscar Mayer. You felt—it felt like toil. And Solomon said there's nothing better than a person who knows who and what they are to take pleasure today and to enjoy the eating and drinking in all their toil, this is a gift of God. And it says in the very next line, the reason God forces us to be happy this way, if we're going to be happy, as he says, God did this so that men and women would revere him. Because all the accomplishments, right? All the accomplishments, it's vanity. This church is—this building's probably not going to be here in a hundred years. We'll be dead. A lot of the accomplishments we think we're accomplishing aren't going to matter in that sense. They're going to matter in how they affect the kingdom of God and how immortal humans live forever. And they're going to infect—and they're going to—but they're going to come out of whether or not you and I can take pleasure and be thankful every single day in everything that we do and all of our eating and drinking— and whether or not we can tell little stories about real changes that God is actually doing in our real lives in every place, and for us to become the kind of people that take pleasure in that right now. 
in all of our eating, in all of our drinking, in all of our talking, in all of our acting, in all of our diaper changing, in all of our toilet plunging, in every bit of it, that we take pleasure because it's all a gift of God. In all of it, we can be thankful. And if you learn, if you learn that, then you will be thankfully filled with the joy that you can have in the holiday season all the time. The joy that most people don't have in the holiday season. You can have in Wisconsin in February. Say, I receive that. Let's pray. And everyone, so this is the part of the service where I help us all look ahead to next year and fill us with a hopeful vision and we all leave enormously excited and I'll sign, having already signed a card that we're in for $30,000 each. Um, I always hate talks like that, personally. Um, and I don't really believe in visions like that, quite that way. I believe in vision. I believe any group of people, any movement of people, have to know how they're proceeding together. I think that's really important. But I also, th- I also think that sometimes having a vision points us towards a certain accomplishment being the focus of our lives, rather than faithful obedience and living out the gospel in all the places of roles and responsibilities where God has sent us. A vibrant movement of Christ is a group of people who absolutely share one thing. Jesus. A experience of regeneration, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the direction given by the written scriptures and the message of the gospel, and Jesus himself, and often very little else. That go out into a a thousand completely different little things that all function in different ways, whether it's parenting or husbandry or wifery or work in different jobs in different sectors in different economies and some people are laborers and some people are craftsmen and some people are professionals and some people are owners and some people are entrepreneurs and some people are investors and all kinds of people do all kinds of different things and wear all kinds of weird outfits and it's and in each of those things Christ is displayed the redemption mandate of Jesus for all people flows through the creation mandate, us using our gifts to be gift givers everywhere, in everything, in every way. You see, so often your average pastor and your average churchgoer are at odds with each other. The average pastor wants more people coming to church, hopefully that meaning more Christians, who give really well and who hopefully don't complain a lot. Right? And the average churchgoer feels harassed and helpless in their life. They feel like there's all kinds of stuff going on, and they don't need a bunch more things that the pastor wants from them. And they really wish that somehow what happened in church on Sunday morning would connect with Monday or even Sunday afternoon, and they would get some help. And it seems like the pastor always wants their help. And he does. And in fact— The leaders of the redemption mandate and the livers of the creation mandate are meant to be in a incredibly well-woven harmony with one another. And the 
redemption mandate of Jesus for all people is meant to flow through our, all our little economies of the creation mandate. The profoundly special redemptive message comes through the ordinary. It comes through the repetitive. It comes in all its redemptiveness into the toil. It is a movement of people that know who they are in the reality of actual human life. That find a peacefulness and a humility in it, a real joy, a capacity for thankfulness. A kind of life that will be weird to the ears in the culture in which we live in, but will be beautiful in every repetition of ordinary life. The New Testament word for this is oikonomia, which we get our word economy from, the way things function. All of us have to learn to live in our little economies, whatever our life is made up, under the overarching truth of God's greater economy, what he's doing, what it means, what our salvation is for. Because whether we're preceding Thanksgiving a time of thankfulness, or leading into Christmas, a time where we think of gift-giving or generosity, all of it flows out of coming back to the basic, most fundamental recognition that we receive everything by gift, and we sound, send out everything as gift. And all of our gifts, in whatever ways we give them or receive them, are all put together with the greater gift of Christ as a gift for the life of the world. And so as we think about what our real vision is, together and separately for the upcoming year, I think our vision has to come back to that. And whatever we will accomplish, let me say something about what we're going to accomplish next year. No corporeal person in this room has any earthly or heavenly idea what we're going to accomplish next year. Least of all me. Okay, can we, can we agree on that? What we have to be is faithful and know who we are and know what our lives are for and know what we're called to and live intentionally as substantive believers for the vision of the kingdom of God. And then stuff will happen, and we will respond to it in real time. And a year from now, stuff I could not have predicted and should not indulge myself in trying will have happened, and we'll get together and be thankful for it. And so I, I want to I come near the end of this service, um, and I want to show you a five-minute video that I think brings that all together really well. And I want for it to kind of frame your understanding a little bit of what every day is supposed to be for us, and what I really hope our next year and decade will be like together. Our world, our city, our culture, our lives are full of confusion about what we're for. And salvation in Christ is designed to redeem us and to save us and to justify us, and in so doing, reunite us to what we are for, which is to receive God's gift and to be gift for the life of the world in every way, 
and with and carried by the creation mandate of all those little economies we're all differently part of, we will naturally carry with it, defining it, and giving it life, the redemption message. And they flow together. The work of the pastor and the desire of the church core are not divided. They're not at odds with each other. They don't have to take up separate amounts of time. They don't have to make your life work worse and more complicated and more work. You don't have to become more desperate in your child rearing because you have to do more things at church. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. It's not meant to be that way. I'm not supposed to act like it's that way, and you're not supposed to feel like it's that way. My vision, my, my vision is we would reclaim it. The peace and thankfulness and joy and freedom and community that flow out of knowing who we are and what we're for and what that means. Being able to recognize that when we swing a hammer or plunge a toilet or write a speech or make legislation or drive a bus— and in all those things, carrying Christ and expressing Christ is all part of a greater oikonomia, God's house, the way all things are meant to function in his gift and by his gift givers. We can reclaim that. Our culture will find it strange. I'm tired of the church being strange just to be strange. We can reclaim our birthright. We can bring creation together. We can be one whole person. We can enjoy our families. We can experience marriage again as what God intended it to be, a gift rather than something that doesn't work in our present culture. We can experience our kids as gift, and they can experience us as parents as gift, rather than this angry, strange swirling up of all of our personal needs and hopes. And that's the vision I want. I want for you to experience the joy of reclaiming that. I want for you and I to experience what I call you to and what you know your life is for to be woven together in a kind of peaceful beauty. I want you to experience what it's like to live for the gospel in every rhythm of daily life. And I want you to experience the joy of the gospel redefining every rhythm of daily life so you don't feel as harassed and broken and squeezed out and anxious about it. And I hope, I hope that you will start just next week and the week after by going to the Intentional Living Seminar. It's one shot. It's a one-hour gig. It's just said the first lesson in trying to organize our understanding of our lives around what it would look like for the gospel mandate and the creation mandate to come together. Go to one of those four things. But mainly, let's learn how to do what Ecclesiastes says. It's not, there's nothing better for a man or woman to do in their life but to eat, drink, and be happy in the daily toil of the repetition of the ordinariness of their daily life. That is where we are meant to be happy. And God, it says right after that, that God forced us into that if we want to be happy. And there's a purpose, our greatest need, so that in that we would revere him. We would see him for who he is, his gifts for what they are, 
and we'd be thankful. And there is no more peaceful or happier heart than a thankful one. Let's pray as the band comes up to do our last song.